0: Well, good morning. Over these next two weeks, we are going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, the subject of parenting according to the Bible. I want to speak to those of you that are young families, to you families that parent teenagers, And along the way, and especially next week, I want to talk to you about parenting adult children, something Rhonda and I are in the middle of right now. I want to talk to you aunts and uncles. I want to talk to you grandparents. And so everything we are going to talk about over these next two weeks applies to you in one way or another. You're going to see this this morning in spades with the first point I'm going to make. I happen to believe when it comes to parenting, that parenting is one of life's greatest opportunities and one of life's greatest challenges. Parenting is like driving a high-end race car. There are wonderful moments of extreme exhilaration. But in and through it all, there's a, a highly demanding, complex, intense thing going on, and we've got to keep our eyes on the road. Otherwise, as we all know, there will be one crash after another. So this morning, we're going to talk about this subject, and I want to help you avoid a lot of the parental crashes that just are the nature of the opportunity we call parenting. Parenting. Let me illustrate that for my own life. One day some years ago, our family was running really, really late for flights out of Midway. And I happened to just not be always the most patient person in the kingdom of God. And I have this thing about being late. Now what was compounding my stress that particular ride to Midway was the fact that waiting for us on the other end of the flights was the chairman of the board of the elders here at Wheaton Bible Church, and I'd only been here in my role for about a year. So I was feeling all this stress, and so the question is, how did kind and gentle, godly Pastor Rob approach his family in that moment? Well, the answer is I gave my family a portion of my mind I couldn't afford to lose. And it was ugly. And it was a horrible way to start a vacation. I say this because the problem with parenting isn't our spouses. Or a lack of a spouse. I was raised by a wonderful single-parent mother. Our problem with parenting isn't our culture, although our culture sure complicates things. Our problem with parenting isn't the defiance of our kids or the difficulty of our circumstances. Our problem with parenting is the sinfulness of our human of our hearts as moms and dads. Our self absorbed, self centered, sinful hearts. Which causes us to lose focus, which causes us uh, to ignore biblical priorities, biblical issues with our our children, and often turns, in worst-case scenarios, parenting into a constant battleground, one crash after another. So as a father of four biological children, three stepchildren, multiple daughter and son in-laws, and six almost perfect grandchildren, (laughs) I want to talk to you, I want to offer you three keys to parenting according to God's Word that have played an enormous role in my life over these years. I want to talk first of all about our target, what's our target as parents, then I want to talk about our role, then I want to talk about our power. In other words, this morning I want to talk about three areas, where we should be headed as parents, who we are to be as parents, what our role is, and then how we get there, what that power is. So let's begin first with our target, and I want to go back, way back in the Old Testament, to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. So grab a Bible, turn on your Bibles. There's Bibles in front of you. We'll put the words up on the screen. And we are going now in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to the central passage in the Bible on parenting. Let's pick it up in verse 5 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Where God is speaking, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your what? Okay, that was pathetic. Let's do this again. It's not even the 815 service. On your what? Okay, that's become critical to everything I say this morning. Whether you're a parent or not, it doesn't matter. Then he continues, impress them on your children. That is on your children's hearts. Okay, good. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Uh, They impact your actions, what you do with your hands. They impact how you think. Keep them close to your head. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your city gates. Do not leave God's Word behind when you move into the public sphere. Now there are two things that are critical that emerge in this passage. The first is according to the first two verses. That is verse 5 and verse 6. We are told what our target is. Our target is our children's hearts. That they would love God from their hearts. This is what we want for all people, whether we have children or not. Now when the Bible talks about the heart, the Bible isn't talking about a, merely a physical organ or uh, the centrality of our emotions. The Bible, when it talks about the heart, is talking about the causal core of your child's personhood. In other words, according to God's Word, it is the heart that causes your child to do and say the things he or she does and says. Their words, their behavior are way more influenced by what's going on in their hearts than ever anything going on outside of them. Our children have behavior problems, attitude problems, word problems, because just like you and me, they have heart problems. So Deuteronomy commands, love the Lord your God from your hearts. Your target, mom and dad's, is your children's hearts. Now second, beginning in verse 7 through verses 8 and 9, we have a series of figures of speech telling us the way we reach, the way we shape, the way we mold our kids' hearts is by continually bringing the gospel, and by the gospel I mean who God is and all he has done for us in Jesus Christ and how we should live in light of the resurrected Christ in our lives. We bring the gospel as mom and dads to bear on every aspect of our kids' lives. So we talk about when we're seated, we talk about when we're walking about, when we're lying down, when we're getting up, wherever we are, whatever we are doing. Now let me press pause and say this doesn't mean moms and dads that I am suggesting that all you ever do is talk about Jesus. I mean, I didn't do that. We have to talk about the Cubs. We have to talk about other important issues in life. So I am not saying all we do is talk about Jesus, but I am saying, actually God's Word is saying, is if you're never talking in the normal course of life, about all God's love and how you have experienced it and what's going on with your children, then you, mom and dad, are in disobedience to Deuteronomy chapter 6. The command is wherever, whenever. I mean, think about that. In other words, parenting, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, is an ongoing conversation with your children about how Jesus changes our lives, our hearts. This is why in the most important parental conversation in human history that is recorded in the book of Proverbs where the father is talking to his son, by the time we come near the end of chapter 4, what does the father say to his son? Above all else, guard your heart. For everything, my son, everything you do flows from your heart. We want to capture our kids' hearts for Jesus. So let me apply this in a couple of ways. I'm going to give you four applications here. First of all, in light of this target of our kids loving God from their hearts, this target of our kids' hearts, that means our target isn't that our children will be good or our children will be successful. Now, those are very important. We want our children to be good. We want our kids to succeed. But ultimately, the target is that they will love God from their hearts because they know how much they have been loved by Jesus when he died for them, when he forgave them, uh, when he adopted them into his forever family. Our target is our kids' hearts. The second application. As I I read this, and this has been really important to me as a dad, what it means is don't sweat the small stuff. It means choose your battles, parents, carefully. Carefully. The soul of your son is way more important than the cleanliness of his room. The the fears of your daughter, her struggle with honesty, is way more important than her grades. What matters most is their heart. Now the way I worked this out one aspect of the way I worked this out is that I gave my kids a reasonable amount of slack when it came when it came to the music they listened to. We never had a battle over music. But boy did I watch closely their friends. Because your children's friends will influence their hearts. More than almost anything. Third application. What this passage means to me is that we must, as mom and dads, ask our kids questions. Questions about what they're fearing, what they're feeling, what's what's going on in their life, what's going on in the lives of their friends. Uh, what they're seeing, how they're feeling about school or or wherever they are, whatever they're doing. We want to bring out what's happening in their hearts. And we do that by asking questions. Now, some of you will have children that are more buttoned up than others. We all have those children. Uh, Often they tend to be guys. How you doing? Fine. What's going on? Fine. You want to talk? No. Uh, so how do, you, uh, how do you probe the heart in situations like that? Well, one of the ways, and there's a variety of different ways, but one of the ways is you just talk about your heart. You talk about a, a, a verse you've just memorized. You talk about an experience with Jesus. You talk about a, a failure and what, what you're learning and how God is guiding you through that. And you talk about your heart. And you find situations, contexts, things you can do that, that tend to open that heart. And you're patient. Because some kids at one end of the spectrum will talk about anything and everything. And other kids are not that way. Now, I want to say something. And I want you to adopt this as a rule. Do not watch TV when you eat as a family. Put the phones in a basket. Don't bring phones to the table and talk. And say, this is who we are as a family. And so you ask questions. You talk about your day. And you talk about the issues of the heart. Fourth and finally, I want you to pray a specific verse. I want you to pray For your children, Matthew 22, verse 37, where Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5 with a twist. Jesus says in Matthew 22, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and he adds the word mind. In other words, we want our kids to love Jesus with everything. So we talk intellectually, we speak to their emotions. We speak to their different uh, situations. I want you to pray this verse for your kids. I can tell you that for the last 30 plus years as a parent, I have prayed this verse, Matthew 22, 37, more for my kids than any other verse in the Bible. Because it centers your focus. It clarifies your target. So our target is our kids' hearts, that they would love God from their hearts. Now let's go on to our role. And I want to talk about our role because there's some confusion even among us as Christians about our role. One of the mistakes we can make, one of the biggest mistakes you can make, moms and dads, is getting confused about your role and thinking that you are an owner rather than the ambassador, that you are the master rather than the servant. We do not own our kids. God does. God does. And so we are servants of the living God to the children God has assigned to us. Now if we get this, it makes a world of difference. Why? Because owners, if we have this ownership mentality we tend to think our kids belong to us and we can parent however we feel. I mean, it's me and my kids. And our focus, if we're owners, is on what we want for our kids and what we want from our kids. So, Samantha Sue, you have some musical ability. I'm going to hire a higher-end piano teacher and you're gonna take piano lessons in order to get to develop this inside you, you're gonna take, you're gonna practice an hour and a half, six days a week. Or Mike, you've got some skills in math. It's interesting to see that. And so one of the things this means for you, little buddy, is man, you're gonna you've gotta to work to get good grades every time those grades come out. I wanna see straight A's. Because that way you're going to get a scholarship to college. And you just happen to be two, but we've got to work on it now. (laughs) You see, owners put, what I'm trying to say is owners put pressure on their kids to perform. Because often in ways we're not even aware of and we're always guilty of this, we tie our significance as parents to our kids' success. Now the problem with all of this is according to the Bible, we are not the owners of our children. Our children don't belong to us. They belong to God. God is the one who created them. God is the one who gifted them. God is the one that has a perfect plan for their lives. It's his plan for their lives. I love the way Psalm 24 verse 1 puts this relative to the problem of ownership. The psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, that all includes your children. So we are servants. It's God's agenda, not ours. And this manifests itself in a variety of ways. So our daughter just finished her uh, first season playing high school basketball as a freshman. And a couple weeks after the season was over, she came home and she said to us, Mom and Dad, I I just got to tell you what happened today. Uh, You're not going to believe what happened. The the varsity coach called me into her office and told me next year when I'm a sophomore, I'm going to be playing on the varsity. And I'm starting to think, oh, I like this. This is cool. And then Alyssa proceeded and said, and that's it. I am done with basketball. I'm like, why? And she said, well, because my friends aren't going to be playing on varsity, and I want to be with my friends. Now let me press pause. You're in this moment. And are you the owner or are you the ambassador as a dad? Are you the master or are you the servant? And by the grace of God, I chose to be the servant. And I said, that's fine, Alyssa, whatever you want to do. And I've regretted it ever since. (laughs) Here are four ways you can tell if you have an ownership issue going on in your heart. And I've just just said it. I'll repeat it. Number one, you derive your significance from your kid's success. And another way to say this is their failures send you into orbit, and they really, really stress you. And these are the parents on the sidelines you see yelling at their coaches. These are the parents that are nasty with teachers. A third way you can... uh, tell where you are on this, is you're regularly comparing your kids to other kids. And sometimes, sometimes, you even do that in front of your kids. And then fourth, you emphasize performance over heart. So we've talked about two things so far. We've talked about Your target as a parent is your children's heart. We've just talked about your role. Your role is a servant of the living God, an ambassador of the children that he has entrusted to you. Now I want to go on and I want to spend a little more time on this one, talking about the power for parenting. Where does it come from? How can we pull this impossible task off? Shaping our kids' hearts. Being a servant of the living God. So what I want to do is I want to turn to a little paragraph in the New Testament found in 2 Corinthians. Now before we look at it, I want you to know, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that there is nothing explicit in this paragraph about parenting. But yet it says volumes about where the power doesn't and does come from relative to parenting. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4. Paul is writing and he says, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills. Now the letter here is a figure for the law. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives life or power. The power for parenting comes from the Holy Spirit in us. Now let me back up and parse this. I want to apply all these verses, verses 4, 5, and 6, to parenting. I want to argue that there's huge application here for parenting. Let's start with verse 4. What verse 4 tells us is that this is a paragraph about confidence and hope relative to parenting. God wants you to have confidence and hope, to experience power in your parenting. That's how Paul leads in verse 4. That's why the word confidence here is so important. Now he tells us that confidence comes in Jesus Christ. In other words, the moment you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, your sins are forgiven, the righteousness of Jesus Christ becomes yours, you have died to sin, you are alive in Christ, that's our union in Christ, and the Spirit of the living God comes to dwell inside of you. So your confidence is in Christ. Now, the reason that's so important is you are going to have some terrible days as parents. And you're going to think this is not working, that you're going to feel horribly guilty. You're not going to even know your own mind. God wants you to have confidence, hope in Christ. Now, there's two keys to that confidence, and the first is found in verse 5, because according to verse 5, and I just love this, we are not competent. Let me say it as lovingly and gently as I can. You are not competent, Mom and Dad. You're just not. That's verse 5. Uh, Now, you're competent to make decisions, you're competent to carve out a career, you're competent to help your kids, but you are not competent to change your child's heart. You don't have that power. So the feelings, by the way, that you have of inadequacy, confusion, guilt, regret, are normal because the biblical reality is you and I are not competent. We can't do this. And what I want to say to you, and here's where the hope comes in, when you get this, I can't do this. The Bible says I'm not competent. I don't believe it, but that's what the Bible says. When you get this, not only does it produce humility in your life, I'll come back to that, but man, you are on the way to good parenting because you're going to relax and you're going to stop being so buttoned up, so uptight. You see, in the Bible, and here's a larger picture, in the Bible, God never, never has called a single person who was able, competent. Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, wasn't able. He was a liar. Moses, Joshua, Gideon, David, the 12 disciples, not able, not competent. A primary point of the Bible is there are no able people. There are no able parents. Zero. Because God has designed it so that we would not rely on ourselves, but on Him. And you take a huge step toward kingdom parenting. When as a mom or a dad you stop beating yourself up for your failures, your inadequacies, your insecurities. Or on the other hand you stop assuming that you can do this on your own. Your inability according to the Bible is never in the way of God's plan. It's a part of God's plan. And may that Cause you to relax. By the way, and personally, we experienced this in spades with another daughter in junior high through much of high school because she was completely and totally defiant. Uh, not the defiant towards other people, but defiant towards her mother and me. And she just frankly wore us out because it didn't go on for months. It went on for some years. She made for a period of years our dinners, our evening meals miserable because she was so sullen and she was so mad. We read everything we could on the angry child. That's the title of a book. I know I read it. We read book after book. We talked to people. We sought help. We did counseling. Uh, uh, She was willing to go to counseling. We did all of this. We prayed and we prayed, and nothing worked for years. And I say this to tell you that we would have self-destructed as a mom and dad if we had assigned to ourselves a power we do not possess. Parents, you can't change your kids' hearts. Listen to how, this is my favorite book on parenting, how Paul Tripp puts it in his book entitled Parenting. Let's look at these slides. He writes, Dr. Tripp says, parenting is not about exercising power for change in your children. Parenting is about your humble faithfulness and being willing to participate in God's work of change. Parents, God has given you authority for the work of change, but has not granted you the power to make that change happen. But we buy into the delusion of thinking that power is ours. We think if we could speak a little bit louder, or stand a little bit closer, or make the threat a little bit scarier, or the punishment a little more severe, then our children will change. I have done this so many times. And because the change doesn't happen, we tend to bring it on even stronger. Now, you wouldn't do that. I have done that. Oh, sure, you can scare or reward your children into temporary change. You can temporarily buy them off, scare them off. You can exercise temporary control over a child's behavior. But what needs to change in order for that change to last and bear fruit is something inside the child. What you're always dealing with is the need for heart change. And we simply have no power at all to change another person's heart. Now, it doesn't always turn out like this. But when this daughter I've been talking about became a senior in high school and we started about talking about colleges. She came to her mother and myself one day and said, "Mom and dad, I'm going to a Christian college." I don't care what you think, but I'm going to a Christian college." Now, she was not asking for permission. She was telling us what she was going to do. That's how she operated. And she said, I don't care what you think, because she knew I would try to talk her out of it. And here was my line of thinking. I said, hey, you know, this is great, but you just need to understand that Christian colleges have these things called rules, and you have never met a rule you like. And I don't want you to get kicked out and come home in three days. And she said, well, Dad, it doesn't matter. This is what I need to do, and the reason I need to do it is because I need to get my spiritual life together. So she went to the Christian college. She got her spiritual life together, and demonstrating that God has an incredible sense of humor, she went on to grad school and became a Christian therapist. And we went through hell. If we had assigned ourselves the power to change her heart, it would have destroyed our marriage. Don't do that. Now let's go on. Because Paul begins in the second half of verse 5 and through verse 6 and says, okay, you're not competent in yourself, but now let me tell you, your competence, you can't be competent. Your competence, though, comes from God. And then when we come to verse 6, he tells us this wonderful truth that it's the Holy Spirit in us who indwells each and every one of us as Christians the moment we believe and that indwelling is permanent. Actually, the Bible teaches all three persons of the Godhead indwell us. Here, Paul is talking about the, the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit inside us who gives us the power to parent. You're not competent. The competency comes from God. Here, the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to ask a theological question. I'm about to say something relative to the Holy Spirit that you may have never thought about or ever heard. And the question is, how does the Holy Spirit give us life as parents? Or give us life as Christians? And the answer is by pointing us to Jesus. By allowing us, revealing to us the beauty and the glory of Jesus demonstrated in his love for us on the cross. This is exactly what Jesus says of the Spirit in John 14, sixteen fourteen, 14, when Jesus says, I'm sending you the Spirit who will glorify me. God gives us the Spirit so that we might learn to see the wonder, the majesty, the beauty, the love, the goodness of Jesus Christ. And so along the way, as you grow in Christ, as the Spirit reveals the wonder of Christ to you, and you begin to increasingly take your eyes off yourself, off your kids, off your circumstances, off your financial issues, off whatever, and you look to Jesus and you bask in His forgiveness, righteousness, and mercy in the union you enjoy in Jesus Christ. And that grabs your heart each and every day of your life then you're going to stop yelling at little Johnny. And the Spirit who gives life will give you the power to change. And instead of yelling at Johnny, you're going to extend him the mercy that you have received in Christ. The reason so many teenagers today in our culture leave the faith is not because they're rejecting the gospel. It's because they have never heard or seen the gospel in their homes. All they've heard are rules and morals. Paul says you're not competent in yourself but your competence comes from God and the Holy Spirit gives life to the extent we live Looking to Jesus, and we point our kids to Jesus. What does this mean? Well, this means I'll say two things, and then we're done. This means mom and dad, dads, that we're miles, miles ahead in our parenting when we understand that our hearts are just as sinful as our kids. Just to, and we have the same issues; they're just bigger because we're older. Our hearts are just as sinful. And when you understand that, that produces a humility in your parenting. And that humility produces a gentleness. So instead of running down the hallway when there's a major World War II going on between a couple of your kids and entering the room and start screaming, you're going to walk down the hall. And you're going to be telling yourself, you know, this is me. And you're going to say to little Timmy or Susie, you know, the reason we have these problems is because we have sinful hearts. And the good news of the gospel is this is exactly why Jesus died for us so we won't hit our brother or our sister. We won't push him. And so I want you to know that the power to change comes from Jesus and you use that moment as a teaching opportunity you don't belabor it you just you you say that in in a a minute or two and then you walk out of the room and your kids are going to say who was that guy (laughs) how did that happen now the second thing I want to say in terms of this power is that when you understand the confidence that God wants you to have in Jesus Christ because the Spirit is resident in you and because of all that Christ has done for you, then you will understand that the difficulties you face in parenting are not because God has forgotten you, but because God is tenderizing you and you're making you more, look, making you more and more into the image of Jesus. As you learn to take your eyes off yourself, the moment your emotions, your frustration, and you look to Jesus, really he did that for me? You see, when it comes to parenting, the gospel isn't the starting line, it's the whole race. And parenting isn't ultimately about what you do. It's about what Jesus Christ has already done for you. Now, the, the target, when we talk about just the focus on the heart, and the role when we talk about being servants, are something anybody can do. I mean, non-Christians can do. But when we come to the power for parenting, there is no way you can experience this power apart from Jesus Christ. And I wonder this morning, do you moms and dads know Jesus? Have you come to Jesus? Have you trusted Jesus? Do you have the sense that Jesus Christ is changing your life? And if you haven't come to Jesus and come to him now, Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at the grace that you offer us in Jesus. And I want to pray for these moms and dads and pray that you would bless them and pray that you would fill them with incredible joy, that their families would be characterized by laughter and humor because mom and dad are relaxed in Jesus and humbled by the grace of God in him. So I commit these parents to you. Bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.